When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Big Football Show. Today is Wednesday, September 22nd, and this is Scott Dockerman, and I primarily write about Iowa. Today, I'm joined by Colton Pouncey, our esteemed Michigan State beat writer. Colton will cover the conference's most intriguing matchup this week with the Spartans playing host to Nebraska in East Lansing. Colton, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, we do have a pretty interesting game coming up here. Um, Got to say, I mean, since I've joined the Mich- Michigan State beat in like 2018, this is probably the most interest, interest that there's been in the team. So, yeah, I mean, things are going well over here. The vibes are good. I'm um, excited for the game this weekend. Yeah, I can imagine. So, you know, one thing before we even talk about this matchup in particular, uh, I wanted to look back to a year ago when we were both at Kinnick Stadium. <laughs> and at that time, Iowa was 0-2. The Spartans just upset Michigan after losing to Rutgers. So we had no idea what this season was going to – or that season was going to entail. And then Iowa scorches Michigan State 49-7. to which uh, surprised me uh, at that time. And, and they haven't lost since. Michigan State was later goes on and upsets divisional champ Northwestern and now has a 3-0 and record to start this season. Um, all three of these wins have come by 17 points, including last week at Miami. Uh, how has Mel Tucker fueled this kind of turnaround from going from a sparring partner at, at Kinnick Stadium a year ago to now a top 20 team in such a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, first of all, going back to last year, that, that was such a roller coaster of a season. And I was saying that as it played out, like so many highs and lows. I mean, you start off that season against Rutgers. I think most people out here assume that would be a win. You know, Giano's still getting things going. They turn the ball over seven times in that game and they lose at home. So I think everyone's like, oh, we're not going to win a game this year after that one. They come back the following week. They're like 24 and a half under, point underdogs to uh, Michigan and they end up winning that one, you know, 27 24. And again, that kind of set up week three. It's like, okay, I was 0 2. Michigan State just knocked off a ranked team. So let's see what we'll see what's going to happen here. Then 49 7, you know. So I think last year it was challenging for, you know, the coaching staff because. Um, you know, obviously, you know, spring practice wasn't a thing for a lot of teams, but that coaching staff was hired, um, you know, mid-February. It wasn't fully filled until probably late February, early March. Um, so you really have two weeks in the building before, you know, things shut down, players go home. You know, you bring them back and the Big Ten shuts down early in fall camp. So it was, it was kind of this whole start and stop nature last year that really, you know, pushed them behind. Um, the coaching staff said, yeah, we were still like installing things in season. You know, players were still getting used to the new systems, the schemes. You know, they, they installed a 4-2-5 when D'Antonio ran a 4-3. And you're, you're mixing matching all these pieces across the board. And it kind of played out that way. You know, um, there were a lot of times, I think in that Iowa game, they really got exposed for 
Um, you know, really not just being, they weren't that physical in that game. They got pushed around, you know, a lot of the things that Mel Tucker said he wanted to see from his team, you know, that relentless effort, the physicality, that wasn't there yet. And I think it took this off season to kind of instill some of that when they had some more time to kind of regroup and say, okay, this is what went wrong. This is how we're going to fix it. So they really attacked this off season with that mindset of we're going to improve in every way. We have a lot of room to improve, but we're <laughs> going to improve in every, every single facet of our program. So, you know, part of it was hitting the transfer portal pretty hard. Part of it was, um, you know, going to the strength and conditioning uh, coach and saying, this is what we want. We want to get faster. We want to get tougher. I want you to make that a point of emphasis, like more so than, you know, every, every coach says that, but it seems like they really hit the weight room hard, took care of nutrition. They hired a new nutritionist um, who came from the NFL uh, her name's Amber Reinstein. You know, you, there's so many before and after post posters of these players um, dropping like 50, 60 pounds and looking mm-hmm. slim and trim. So that's kind of been their mentality. Like we're going to get better in every single facet of this program. And I think you're seeing it play out on the field so far. Um, a lot of it is, you know, reflective of what Mel Tucker wants from this team. Um, you know, culture of t- toughness, culture of competition. Um, the transfers kind of helped out with that. Uh, you know, making guys, guys who have been here, their jobs aren't safe. And uh, the new guys that were brought in, they're fighting for jobs. So I think that's kind of elevated that level a little bit. And, um, yeah, so far, so good. They're 3-0 for the first time since uh, since 2015. Um, entered the the rankings for the first time under, under Mel Tucker. So, uh, yeah, things are going well here. It's interesting because I remember D'Antonio's era very well. They were in the same division as Iowa, the Legends division. And um, it was like Rock'em Sock'em Robots every time they played. Um, you know, it was – 15, 13 or 16, 13 and one way or the other. And I saw a very tough, committed program under D'Antonio. But how did that slip towards the end? And how has Mel Tucker established that culture again? Just knowing that, I mean, Michigan State's culture was built on toughness not that long ago. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are a lot of theories about what went wrong and what could have been different um, for D'Antonio's final few years, but I think it starts on the offensive side of the ball because defense was never really an issue for D'Antonio. You know, he's, mm-hmm. that's his background. He's, he was a DB in college. He was a DB coach growing up and um, coming up in the system. And now, you know, that was his bread and butter at Michigan state. So it never really got to the point where the defense was struggling or anything like that. That was always a solid part. Offense is kind of where things fell apart. Um <laughs> You know, I think early on his tenure, they were known for, you know, strong running games and, mm-hmm. you know, the Jeremy Langfords, the Le'Veon Bells, Javon Ringers, the, those types of guys. Um, and it, they kind of got away from that. I think offensive line recruiting kind of um, fell behind there the later few years, I would say, probably starting 2016 and beyond. It took a lot of projects, you know, these like six, seven high school tight ends that they're like, oh, well, maybe we can, you know, bulk them up and make them alignment. That were, they're probably like 230 pounds coming out of high school. And that's a tough way to go from 230 to like 300, 320. Um, so there's some issues with that. Um, some of their guards were actually undersized. So like the offensive line, it, it didn't seem like they were physical. They kind of lost some of that from their earlier years. And they had Jack Conklin and, and Brian Allen, those guys. So um, a little bit different offensive line that kind of struggled with the running game. Um, I think recruiting as a whole kind of took a, took a backseat. Um, you know, they went from, they had a chance to really capitalize on the recruiting after that, you know, 2013 to 15 run specifically. Um, 2016 class was D'Antonio's best in terms of recruiting rankings, but kind of took a lot of, you know, I don't want to say flyers because those were those were 
talented players, but took a risk bringing some of those guys in because they did have character issues. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those guys from that class ended up, you know, getting kicked off the team for sexual assault and various issues like that. Um, I think the lack of depth, when you lose basically, you know, half a class, you know, through attrition or, you know, getting kicked off, that really sets you back. So in a year in like 2018, 2019, when those guys would have been juniors and seniors, they weren't there, you know? Um, so I think they're, they had to rely on a lot of younger guys. Um, recruiting probably took a dip after that. So those guys weren't even as talented yeah. as they were, some of the kids they were getting before. And then again, some of that goes into schools like Kentucky from the SEC and, and Luke Fickle's rise at Cincinnati that were, you know, sort of going into Ohio like Michigan State had done, getting the players at Ohio State probably, you know, just passed on because they can get whoever they want. Yeah. Um, they kind of, you know, took that blueprint and said, well, why can't we do this at our school? And um, so I think the talent pool in D'Antonio's, you know, Ohio region probably dipped a little bit too because he had more competition. So you, you kind of look at all of that and I think it kind of explains what went wrong. And then again, it goes back to the offense. They were basically from, you know, 2017 to 2020. I know that was Mel Tucker's first year, but Things were pretty rough. I don't think they finished higher than, you know, 96th in scoring offense during that period. Um, with D'Antonio, you know, he was very loyal to his coaching staff, so he didn't really make a ton of changes after 2018 when they finished, you know, 126th in scoring offense. Mm -hmm. um, he just kind of took his whole staff and, oh, my OC, I'll put you at quarterback's coach, my quarterback's coach, I'll put you at OC. He kind of shuffled yeah. the deck a little bit with his coaching staff. I think people remember that. And uh, that always felt like the final straw. If, you, if that wasn't going to work, then it might have been time for change. I think he kind of sensed that. Um, not to say that he didn't have a great coaching career, because he did. He's one of the best coaches in program history. And um, I think he's still remembered for that. But things were stale down the stretch. And Mel Tucker was brought in to sort of fix those things. You know, he's taken a liking to recruiting. That's He calls it the bread and butter of the program. Um, he's hired a staff that believes that recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. Um, that mentality comes from the top on down. Um, again, he's worked the portal at 15 scholarship players this offseason, probably four or five, six, maybe those guys are like in the playing rotation now. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the other guys that they got are probably going to be building blocks for the future. So, I mean, everything he's done, he's taken that last year, 2020, where you go two and five as an evaluation year, see what went wrong, what worked, um, and then use that to spring you forward. And uh, the results have been good so far. Yeah, it's really fascinating to watch because um, when B.J. Fleck took his first year at Minnesota, he called it year zero, um, which was which was bullshit, really. But um, but then uh, but Mel Tucker legitimately had year zero because, as you said, I don't even think he had a spring practice, did he? I mean, and even then, no. then COVID happens, everybody's scattered, at least at a place like where the school I cover. Uh, they have a system and everybody kind of knows the system. So it, they step right in and yeah, they're not perfect by any stretch, but at least they know what they're doing. And, and when you're switching defenses and cadences and everything like that, I mean, it's just a nightmare to try to, you know, go out and compete day in and day out. And they, they showed some high talent. I mean, beating Michigan at that point, we thought Michigan might be something. Um, they showed that in the first game against Minnesota. And then they, of course, weren't. And then beat by beating Northwestern, I thought was a huge step for the program that, okay, they, they made some strides. And, and then, as you said, in the off season, I've really paid attention, what 41 new players, 20 transfers. I mean, that's a big risk. A lot of times when coaches do that, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a gamble in basketball. It happens a lot more and it's easier to kind of bring them all in together, but in football, if you don't bring them all in and, 
they're, they, you know, coalesce, it could be a disaster. But uh, after watching the opening weekend, I realized, okay, they've got a pretty good transfer, at least at one position. And that's uh, running back Kenneth Walker, the third, uh, I, you know, you brought up some of the names from the past there, you know, Le'Veon Bell, uh, you know, I remember JT Scott, uh, you know, Javon Ringer was really good. He very much overlooked, but wow, I have not seen a debut like that. And I'm not seeing, you know, he just has a real physical running style and it gets Northwestern, which was a top 10 team last year, you know, 264 yards, four touchdowns. Granted, they didn't have, uh, Patty Fisher, Blake Gallagher, Greg Newsom doesn't matter. They were able to do that and do that. He was able to do that on the road. And uh, how did they? How did they get him away from Wake Forest? And what are you seeing that makes him so effective? Yeah, um, I think it, I, to, for, first to start, I think um, what Kenneth Walker wanted um, coming out of Wake Forest and when he entered the transfer portal, he left because he wanted more of a pro style offense. Um, you know, what they do at Wake, it's kind of this like really slow, delayed, you know, release and um, the, they call it like the slow mesh. Uh, so he thought that was a little, you know, not I, I guess I should say um, he just wanted something more NFL ready because he sees himself as an NFL player. And uh, he believes he's found that at Michigan State. They want to give him the ball, you know, 25 times a game. Um, the only time he didn't get, you know, around that number was against Youngstown State when he only got seven carries. Still got like 57 yards off of those seven carries, and they were just kind of trying to rest him for Miami. But he is an unbelievable running back. He is probably the most fun player to watch since I've covered Michigan State. Um, The things he can do with the ball in his hands, you know, he's. I think his biggest strength is probably his vision. Mm -hmm. He sees things develop two, three steps ahead of time. So whether that's when, when you bounce it out to the edge and seeing where, you know, those tackles, the, the linebackers and the safeties are coming, those tacklers, he sees that ahead of time. He knows exactly where to do, exactly where to go. Um, there's a play against Youngstown State where he should have been, you know, swallowed up for like a three or four yard loss. He looks to his left, bounces it out for a pickup of 24. And that's when I'm like, this dude's unbelievable. And I think he saw that against Northwestern when he had 264 yards. He had runs of, you know, 75, 50, and 30 in that game. Um, against Miami, he broke 20 tackles. 20 tackles? Yeah. Um, he has 35 on the season, which leads the country. Uh, leads country in yards after contact with 372. Michigan State running backs last year were among the lowest rates of broken tackles. Um, so they really needed a player like that who can, again, not only has the vision to kind of see things happen, but also the, the strength to break those tackles and enough speed to kind of hit the home run when he needs to. So he is the focal point of this offense for sure. He's the reason why they're having a lot of success. Not that their offensive line has been bad this year. It has in the past, but I think they've gotten a little bit more than probably they had in, in, in those years past with, you know, Jarrett Horse, the transfer from Arkansas State. Um, he's a new left tackle. Um, they put their old left tackle last year, A.J. R. Curry, and they moved him over to the right side. And then that allowed their right tackle from last year, Kevin Jarvis, to move back inside. He's a natural guard. Um, so I think that's kind of helped them across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, but also having a guy like Kenneth Walker who can, you know, bounce things out when things aren't there um, and still get you positive yards. That's been huge for this offense. And they rely on him every week. And I think that's going to continue to be the trend this season. Yeah, sure. I mean, he, you know, currently right now he leads the country with 493 rushing yards, 
164 yards per game, which again is impressive considering he didn't play very much against Youngstown. And, um, you know, what 8.7 yards per carry is just unreal. Unreal. (laughs) (laughs) Sixth in total touchdowns, ninth in rushing TDs. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's changed the face of Michigan State. And I know your first two years you covered, uh, Dan- I think it was two years you covered Antonio, yep. and then now two years with Tucker. And so that first year, I remember especially you saw some horrific offense. And uh, I'm certainly accustomed to a lot of bad offense too in Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> but if you co- but if your if your teams are ground acquisition. And that seems to be the basis of certainly what Michigan State wants to do and has done in the past and what Iowa does. Um, it sounds like they have the perfect back for that. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of Sean Green, who, who is a dope walker winner here um, a long time ago now, 13 years, showing my age here. But uh, he was uh, kind of the same way. But to, hand in hand with that, though, is uh, Peyton Thorne, you know, who was uh, named Big Ten Co-Offensive Player of the Week uh, you know, four touchdown passes at the U. Um, you know, was this was this a performance that you expected from him, or did you think he was more of a caretaker? Or it, it, can he do this on a consistent basis? Not four touchdowns, but just have these kind of efforts against you know probably better teams as a whole in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I think he has a formula for consistent success, and. I think it kind of goes back a few years. Um, you know, he was in the mix for this quarterback race last year that obviously went to Rocky Lombardi, but Peyton Thorne was a retro freshman at the time. There were two older quarterbacks. It was Lombardi and, and Theo Day, who's a year older than Thorne, oh, yeah. um, in, in the mix with, with him in that race. And um, it was Thorne who actually finished second as a backup. So he jumped uh, Theo Day, who ended up transferring to, I believe he's at Northern Iowa now. Yeah, he's really good. He started there now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, – so obviously Rocky began the year as a starter, but, you know, he probably just wasn't a Big Ten quarterback. I think that kind of became clear as the season progressed. And um, Thorne would kind of come in for him whenever Rocky struggled. And I think I think it was against Ohio State. He completed 11 passes in a row. You know, he starts the next week against Penn State and throws 325 yards and three touchdowns, no picks. And everyone's like, OK, yeah, we might have someone here. So he kind of took that into the offseason. Um, Michigan State's coaching staff brought in Anthony Russo, um, a grad transfer from Temple, uh, who came to Michigan State to compete for the starting job. But I got to say, every time we were out there in practice, it was always Thorne getting the first team reps. Every time they did a team scrimmage, it was always Thorne. Um, you know, Thorne spent the offseason training with Kenneth Walker and Jaden Reed, his number one target at wide receiver. Um, so I, I felt like it was his job to lose after a while. And that, that's been the case so far this year. And Honestly, he's only strengthened his grip on that lead, um, you know, against Northwestern. He's kind of his job is basically just give the ball to Kenneth Walker and watch him do his thing. But they knew that they're going to need him. So I kind of call him like a game manager plus because um, I think there's probably a negative association with the title game manager. I don't think there has to be. I think that just means you're doing what's asked of you. And Peyton Thorne is doing what's asked of him. You know, he has zero turnovers this year. He's yet to throw an interception, yet to fumble. Um, they know that they can get that from him because he is really one of the smartest quarterbacks, you know, I've covered here at Michigan State. And a, a lot of the other coaches have said the same thing. You know, he's going to put in the work. He knows he's going to see things on the field because it's a product of the preparation that he's put in off of it, you know, things like that. And so I think that's why he's been able to take care of the football. He's making the right reads, not doing too much out there. But then he'll also give you these explosive plays where all of a sudden you'll see 
wow, he's got four touchdown passes. He's done that two weeks in a row, and he's the first quarterback at MSU to do that since since Connor Cook. Mm-hmm. So he's having this early season success. You know, I think he leads the the Big Ten in um, quarterback efficiency rating. Um, I think he's top ten in the country right now too. So he's done his job and then some. And I think the fact that he's so prepared, the fact that he's so poised and calm and under control, nothing really rattles him. Um, I think he's going to continue that success. And, you know, having those two speedy receivers and Jalen Naylor and Jaden Reed, he knows that one of those guys are going to get loose at least a couple times, you know, at least once or twice a game when he's going to find them. That's what happened against Miami. Um, they're up a touchdown late. You know, they're, they're trying to keep the momentum on. Uh, Thorne finds Jaden Reed for a 39-yard touchdown to kind of ice the game. Um, so they're in sync from top to bottom. I think there's a lot of confidence, a lot of balance in this offense, and, and Peyton Thorne and, and Kenneth Walker kind of at the forefront of all that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Low key, this has probably been the, to me, maybe the most impressive Big Ten team. And I'm sure somebody might say the one I cover has been that way too, just and, and yeah. rightly so, but maybe going outside of my, my purview. To go to, to go to Miami, a team that was started the year ranked 14th, that played that big game against Alabama and got kind of lit up. I thought, I figured most people figured that. Michigan State would go down there, lose, probably lose by a couple of touchdowns, and and the U would be back and be an ACC challenger, and and Michigan State will kind of go back into uh, you know mid tier ta- territory. But to go down there and win, win decisively the way it did, I think really showed that um, I'm really impressed with a lot of the teams in the Big Ten East. I mean, Rutgers I think has played well. Maryland has had a, a nice run, especially beating West Virginia in the opener. Michigan is. Looks like uh, so far, I, I, have, I have a hard time trusting Michigan. I always do, but uh, but so far they look good. But but Michigan State to me was, I, I mean, I wondered, frankly, if they would make, might be the worst team in the league going in based on last year. And here they are. They're, they may be the most impressive team. Um, and I, and as you said, offense. I mean, they're averaging 520 yards a game, and they're not even hitting 27 minutes of time of possession. That's just crazy. And they and they scored at least thirty eight points a game, uh, for which is the first time since uh, John L. Smith territory. So yeah, try not to smack yeah. yourself on this <laughs> one, but uh, <laughs> you know two thousand five. Yeah. Um, so my, you know, I think a lot of people wonder. Will wonder. I know I will. Can they keep this up? And I'm not saying thirty eight points against Ohio State and everybody else in the Big Ten, but but at least be put themselves in a position where they they could be competitive with everybody and win some of those games, if not most of them. 
that's the big question going forward. And I'll tell you what, they believe that they have a winning formula. You know, Mel Tucker said after that Miami game, because that was a close game going, you know, through three quarters. I think it was 17-14 entering the, the fourth quarter. Um, and again, that was, you know, that was a game in the heat. You know, Michigan State had to kind of prepare for that and try to, you know, replicate the heat and practice by turning things up and all that stuff. And they outscored Miami 21 to three in that final quarter. They were clearly the, the better team. Um, they kind of pulled away. And I think a lot of people were like, how did you do it? And Mel Tucker had a great quote. And he, after the game, he's like, we wanted to drag them into the deep water where we live. This is like, we're, we're in the deep water. This is where we train. We're the best condition. We're going to outwork you. We're going to outgrind you. This is where we live. So we took them. They were above sea level. We dragged them down to where we were. And that's kind of the mentality of this team because they think that they're going to outwork you. They think that their conditioning is at a point where they can go 15 rounds. That was another one of Mel's quotes. Yeah. You know, we're going to take you to the 15th round. We're going to we're going to beat up on you, you know. And so that's the mentality of this team. Again, that's all from Tucker. That's what he's done in this program. It's been really impressive. His fingerprints are all over this program. This is his team. It's no longer, well, D'Antonio's players, but Mel's trying to come in and do his thing. This is Mel Tucker's team. And the fact that he's done it so quickly in only two years, you know, 10 games in, it's it's really impressive. And I think the players will tell you the same thing. Like, well, Mel's our guy. You know, we're, we're playing for him. Um, we're going to – our mentality is reflected with his because it comes from his, his coaching staff at the top. So when you're talking about if they can keep this up, I'm kind of interested. You know, I think this game will be pretty interesting because, you know, Nebraska is at a point where they're looking to kind of change some of these narratives. Mm -hmm. So this could be this is go a long way towards doing that. If they were to knock off a ranked Michigan State team. But, you know, I look at the rest of Michigan State schedule. You know, they still have to play Michigan, who's undefeated. They mm -hmm. still have to play Rutgers, who's 3-0 and right now. Mm -hmm. um, one of those teams will not be after this weekend, but we'll see. Right. Um, you know, an Indiana team that's had a couple of tough, really tough schedules so far. You know, they're two mm -hmm. losses against top 10 teams. Um, Ohio State is still Ohio State. Um, you've got Maryland, who's 3-0. Penn State's 3-0. You know, they've got all these teams left on their schedule, and that's the only pause I have to say, well, they could end up being a really good football team and keep a lot of these same, you know, similarities that they're doing in the first three games and continue that through the season. But the fact that their schedule is so tough from here on out with all these teams that look really good in the Big Ten East, that's the only pause I have to say, like, they could lose a game to Maryland, you know, 30-27, you still play well in that game, but you still lose, you know. So I guess it's still sort of a wait-and-see moment, but everything that they've done so far suggests that this team is probably ahead of schedule in terms of their rebuild, and that's something Mel Tucker wanted. He said at Big Ten Media Days, you know, the, the days of having a three-, four-, or five-year rebuild are gone. Like, mm -hmm. we need to get this thing moving, and that's exactly what he's done, and the players think that um, they're on the right track and that they can win games in 2021. So. Yeah. Well, it's good to see. I know in the past, like a former colleague of mine, we always used to say that Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Iowa were like uh, three polar bears fighting over the same sheet of ice. I mean, same recruiting grounds in Chicago, same style of play. When they played, it was always very close, and it was really up to field position, and it was up to turnovers and penalties on third down, and smallest details always separated those teams, and it sounds like Michigan State's kind of in that same wheelhouse again, and I think a lot of those teams are in that same ballpark. Uh, you know, Ohio State's kind of they're, everybody's trying to figure them out right now. And I think they're trying to figure themselves out, at least on defense, but you know, yeah. they certainly have talent. There's no question about that. And they'll, they'll showcase that at some point, but absolutely, you know, look, looking at this uh, matchup with Nebraska though, uh, for, for the Spartans, 
I mean, these two teams dominated the Legends division <laughs> a, a decade ago with the Spartans won two of the three titles and the Huskers won the other one. And I think that's a trivia question that we lost to history eventually. But uh, but since they <laughs> since they were severed from one another, that great rivalry between the Huskers and the Spartans. Um, they've had a couple of uh, interesting matchups, I think, you know, in 2015, um, Michigan state, that was only the, the only loss in the regular season was at Lincoln. And it was kind of controversial at the time, uh, like a push out out of bounds. I think it was Brandon Riley for Nebraska and they scored and won by a point. And then, um, you know, and then in 2018, I'm sure you, you were there, weren't you? I was, unfortunately. Yeah. That <laughs> had to have ranked uh, at or near the bottom of any game you'll ever cover, I'm sure. That that in the in the red box pool. <laughs> <laughs> Nine to six and seven to six. Um great offense know. that year. Yeah. Great defense. <laughs> I think that's those are probably like, okay, you gave me that lord of football please give me something better in right the future. yeah i got my i got my bad karma but i saw a couple of bad games like that too and and there is a difference and we and i think everybody knows it between 16 13 like michigan state iowa in 2015 in the championship game that was the greatest fist fight in big 10 history because yep. two awesome defenses went at it for four quarters and when they're making plays like that, you don't, you don't say, oh, this is a terrible game. No, this is just high-level defense. Yeah. Um, but then it's nine to six in Lincoln in 2018 is not one of those games. Right. <laughs> That's a game where you go, is this thing ever going to end? I uh, asked myself that in the press box. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and you're so high up there at Memorial Stadium, you're looking down, you're like, oh, my God, this field looks like. snowing like halfway through, too. I'm just like, this game has everything. <laughs> it's so perfect. <laughs> All right. Exactly. But I really don't know how this game's going to go based off what we've seen thus far. And Nebraska, I would say, is kind of in an enigma at some extent. Uh, you know, looked really bad against Illinois. Um, yep. Had those um, just some inexplicable plays, the, the the punt safety or whatever it was, and, and some turnovers and the fourth down call that was actually a first down. And uh, but then last week they hey they went to Oklahoma and, and just about pulled off a stunner there against a the top five team, and then of course they you know threw a couple of cupcakes at the garage in the middle of a birthday party in the you know those other two games. But uh, Michigan State, as we've talked about, it's a very impressive start. But you want to see how that continues because sometimes teams start hot and then they come to earth or slow down or other teams figure them out, but. You know, how have you kind of played this game out in the way you've broken it down? And and what do you see out of the Huskers and how they compare with uh, with the Spartans? Yeah, just look, I'm still and I'm still kind of diving through the numbers and things like that. But early on, I guess one matchup I see that could maybe decide the game is, you know, Adrian Martinez has had made some pretty big plays this year through the air. Um, I think he leads the Big Ten in yards per attempt. So um, they're kind of airing out a little bit. And Michigan State's passing defense is not that good. Um, I think they're ranked currently 108th in, in yards per game allowed. Mm -hmm. But I will say the difference with that is they're 33rd in yards per attempt. Um, so what you're seeing is a lot of bend, don't break. And uh, I was talking to Mitch Sherman. He was saying that, you know, Nebraska can get some big plays, some explosive plays to the air probably. Mm -hmm. And I was telling him, well, Michigan State, they allow soft coverage over over the middle. They'll allow some of that short intermediate stuff. Um in an effort to not get burned by the deep ball. So 
they play their corners off maybe like five, six yards per play, um, sometimes a little more. So what Miami and De'Aaron King did, they were taking a lot of those hitch routes and just saying, okay, run like seven yards and come up. And Michigan State like was like, we'll give you that every time. But what we're going to do is we're going to – they turned the pressure up. I think they had three three or four sacks in that game. Um, you know, they made plays when they needed to in the secondary. They got two picks in that game off De'Aaron King. And so they allowed a lot of the underneath stuff. I think King threw for – 388 yards in that game um, and on like 58 attempts or something like that, something crazy high. But um, so they'll allow some of that stuff, but they don't want to get beat by the deep ball. And that's, that's kind of what they've shown so far. So I think that'll kind of be interesting to see if Nebraska can get a few of those. Their secondary is still a work in progress. They, they had one scholarship quarterback in the spring. Um, that was Kalen Gervin because some of the guys transferred out. Um, Angelo Gross, who was a corner, he switched from corner to safety this offseason. So Caleb Gervin was the only scholarship corner they had. They have since gone out, added six more scholarship guys through either the 2021 class or transfers. Um, so two of the new guys they have, Alabama transfer uh, Ronald Williams and uh, Florida transfer Chester Kimbrough. They're kind of duking it out with Gervin and uh, two freshmen, uh, Chuck Brantley. And th- that's kind of like the four rotating corners. It's kind of an issue right now. Um, I think it's still a work in progress. So I'll be interested to see if they do give up some of those deep balls or if they do play it safe and say, we'll give you those short out routes if you want it, but we're not going to let you beat us deep. And, you know, we're going to stop the run. We're going to do everything else we need to do and contain you. Um, so th- I think that's one thing just looking on uh, early in this game that I think could be uh, a deciding factor. But I think they're it'll be an interesting game, I think. Um, you know, Mel Tucker was talking about, He's trying to brand Spartan Stadium as the woodshed. Huh. Apparently, it was a thing uh, with players in Nick Saban's final few years at Michigan State where they just started calling it the woodshed. I have never heard that until like maybe a week ago. I've never heard anyone call it that. But all the players will say, I mean, yeah, we call it that all the time. So now they're trying to brand that as a woodshed. So saying, pack the woodshed. We're going to do the, you know, the stripe game for uh, for this mm-hmm. week. Mel's like, we only gave them 2,500 tickets because we know they travel well. So we're trying to keep it that home atmosphere. Um, So he's doing everything he can. Um, I think they realize this is a big game. You know, they don't want to lose a game like this after all the momentum they've had getting to this point, getting the 3-0, you know, becoming ranked for the first time since 2019. They want to keep this thing rolling. And I think to do that, you got to get a win, probably got to win decisively. Um, You know, so I think that's kind of the goal for them right now. Yeah. Well, one thing watching Nebraska over the years, I mean, they, they have some talented receivers. Uh, Omar Manning is, is, you know, you look at him and you think, wow, this guy's an NFL caliber receiver. Um, finally, has, has really kind of broken him out. I think what's his name? Samari Toure um, from Montana uh, has been really good, too. Um, he was good in, in FCS ball. But, you know, Adrian Martinez has is, is always been – when he's in his best, he's always been efficient, um, hits a lot of short passes. He doesn't really have a great deep – you know, big arm necessarily, but he's got now receivers who have good athletic ability that's been able to kind of break that apart. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see that style uh, because, you know, that's kind of what Iowa employs. And he was able to kind of nickel and dime Iowa, for, you know, quite a bit, but not really hit anything big on him. So I wonder if they'll be able to be patient against uh, Michigan State. And then when it's a red zone opportunity, that's probably what will end up determining how that game goes because, uh, you know, if, if, if it's a field goal or a missed field goal or, or a touchdown, that's really 
you know, the, the crux of what will end up happening there. And With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Kind of spinning it around the Big Ten a little bit. Uh, what's kind of the vibe with Michigan right now? Um, last year, they were kind of dead team walking. They're a zombie at the end. I mean, you know, deciding to COVID slash quit against Ohio State and Iowa. And, and here they are now. Um, they look pretty good. I mean, what missed Western Michigan beat Pitt. So it's not like they they're beating lifeless teams. So uh, what do you what do you know about the Wolverines and how are they making these strides? Yeah, I mean, their running game is probably probably the biggest thing that stood out to me so far. I think they're first in the country in, in rushing. Um, you know, they have two backs and Hassan Haskins and uh, Blake Corum, who are both, you know, they could start for a lot of teams with the way that they played so far. I think Corum has like 407 yards through three games. Um, Haskins isn't far behind. So really what they've gotten out of the rushing game has kind of carried them so far. And not to say that Cade McNamara has, you know, been struggling or anything like yeah. that, but they really rely on that, on that rushing offense and those two guys leading the way. And really their I mean, their offensive line has been pretty great too. Um, you know, opening up a lot of holes for them, um, you know, allowing them to have the success that they've had. And I think, Again, I think, you know, covering Michigan State, you know, uh, <laughs> there's been an interesting discussion between uh, who's the better running back, Kenneth Walker or uh, Blake Corum. And they're both – I don't think – I think it's kind of pointless to kind of debate over that right now. You know, they're going to have a chance to kind of play that out when they do play each other. Um, and also, it's so early. Just enjoy the fact that there are two really good running backs, three if you count Haskins, yeah. um, you know, in the state that are doing good things. You know, I, I know they won't say that because they're <laughs> – our travels, but I'm enjoying it from, from, you know, watching from afar, uh, those guys over there. So, um, again, you got to look at the schedule and say, well, how's the competition been? Washington doesn't look great. Yeah. Um, you know, Northern Illinois, there was kind of some storylines out here like, Oh, Rocky Lombardi and starting quarterback <laughs> in Northern Illinois. Is he going to do what he do again, what he did last year? And that just wasn't going to happen. Um, yeah. So I would like to see the schedule pick up a little bit for them before you kind of anoint them as, as back as Jim yeah. Harbaugh, as he turned things around. I'm not ready for those narratives yet, um, but this game should be interesting. You know, they got a Rutgers team and that's Shiano's team now, just yeah. kind of like how this is Mel Tucker's team. That's Shiano's team. He came and did the same thing that Mel's doing with the, tri the transfer portal, things like that. Um, has those guys playing hard. Schedule hasn't been great, but three and zero, they have a chance to kind of, I imagine if Rutgers beats Michigan this week, they would be ranked um, and in the top 25, um, just 4-0 start the way they've played. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's an intriguing one to me, probably one of the more underrated matchups this weekend in the Big Ten. For sure. I, I'm really intrigued by Rutgers because, I mean, they were kind of like a constant punchline, um, you know, up yep. until last year. Uh, you know, they were getting beat, I think over like a five-year average, something in the neighborhood of 35 to four was kind of the average score in Big Ten play for, I don't know how many years in a row, but it, it, you know, it lent a lot of people saying they should even be in the Big Ten. And, you know, they're, they're not wrong <laughs> when you're like that. Right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I've really, I, I could really appreciate the way Shiano built that team last year. I mean, they weren't very talented, but they were tough. 
and they worked hard. You could tell that there was a lot of effort put into it, and, you know, not only in the win against uh, uh, Michigan State right off the bat, but, you know, they had a couple other wins. Uh, at the end of the year, I watched them pretty close against Nebraska, and and they weren't the more talented team, but they fought. And and then what we've seen this year is a continuation of that, a 3-0 record. They looked good against Syracuse. They blew out Temple. I mean, so but Delaware, I think, was the other team they beat. Um, yeah. So this is kind of a testing ground for both of them. I would expect kind of a tight, tough game. And even though the, the spread's 20, which just floors me, I think that's awful big. Um, oh, I think yeah. it's, it's, it's name recognition is what it is. And, and stupid gamblers will just jump on that. Now, anybody who watches it and they think Michigan will win, then okay, go for it. But that's not my, <laughs> that's not my purview. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, looking around, you know, Indiana, as you, as you talked about earlier, uh, lost two tough games. Um, they came to Iowa city. I knew that would be a difficult game for them because their style just is not, against Iowa's defense was not going to be a good fit for them. I, you know, a lot of people didn't think that I kind of saw what was going to happen 34 to six there and uh, two pick sixes for Michael Penix. And then last week um, the targeting rules have really changed the game a little bit. Micah McFadden getting tossed against uh, Cincinnati really cost them an opportunity to win that game. And uh, now they, they actually have a, you know, a low key tough game at West Kentucky, Western Kentucky. That's not a team usually like to play on the road. I mean, they kind of have some opportunity there. Um, and they're going to have a lot of teams shooting at them, you know, because of the way they played last year. I mean, they go to Penn state at night next week that I think everybody remembers the stretch, you know, <laughs> there. Yeah. And I mean, they have an opportunity to kind of fall, you know, and be a good team, but not be, have a great record. Um, and then, Kent State, a team I just saw the other day, they play at Maryland, and that could be that could be interesting. But what are some of your other impressions there of the East Division so far? Yeah, I think like you mentioned, I mean, Indiana's played a couple, couple of tough games to start. But, uh, again, like coming up this week, because Michigan State's going to have to play Western Kentucky too, I think that's a tough game. I mean, they can throw the ball around the field. I mean, they lead the country in passing yards. That's an offense that – probably should scare a lot of teams, a lot of these power five teams that they're going to be playing. So, I mean, that's, you talk, it, it's one of those things to say, okay, well, we got, you know, a, a weaker team on the schedule, so we'll win this one. That's one that the coaches have to prepare them to, you know, take their best effort, take West Kentucky's yeah. best effort in that game. Cause that's, that has trap potential of me if you, if you don't play that right. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the rest of the East, I mean, man, Penn state made a hell of a statement last week. Um, they look like they're, ready to put 2020 behind them. Um, that was such a weird season for them. Yeah, right. Because um, right. they, finished, they finished the year so strong. I think they've kind of carried that into into this year. You know, Sean Clifford's been um, a lot better. Uh, Noah Kane, do, they're doing their thing over there. So Penn State is, uh, I think they're deserving of all the hype they've gotten so far based on the way they've played. Um, and uh, who else do we have in the East this week? we got Ohio State. Um, we do. Against Akron, so that'll be a, a nice little state yeah. uh, present for him. But yeah, um, but again, yeah, I mean, CJ Stroud, I don't know where his confidence at. Um, I think probably last week was, you know, better game. But uh, you know, it, every time I, I'm on Twitter, I'm scrolling through Twitter, I see all these questions like, "Is CJ Stroud the guy?" I'm like, I mean, he's played like five <laughs> games in his life, guys. Come on, mm-hmm. like, let's give him a break here. But again, to me, Ohio State. They've, I mean, losing to Oregon, that, that's a tough one, but 
Oregon's, you know, top three team right now. So it's really hard to, to fault them for that. Um, they are still the most talented team in the conference. I think they'll probably play better as the year comes along. They, they got to get that defense figured out for sure. But you have to think that eventually the talent will win out. Um, they'll have they'll be able to put together consecutive games, um, you know, in the conference. When they get in the conference play, the, the meat of their schedule, they'll probably get things figured out at some point. So Ohio State is still – I'm not ready to jump off the ship yeah. yet. I, I do enjoy seeing, you know, more teams come aboard and say, well, why, why can't it be us? I enjoy that because I think it's better for the conference as a whole. Um, and I know a lot of our staff at the athletic were like, Oh, it's, it's Ohio state, you know, Ohio yeah. state until proven otherwise, I still kind of feel that way, but just seeing the parody that we have so far, I think it's been good for the conference and especially in that East division with so many undefeated teams so far that Ohio state's probably what seventh six or sixth place right now in the East. So I think that's been uh, pretty interesting to see. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. That's it is kind of fun to watch, but I, I also, I, yeah, I remember when it was an eleven-team league, and and a lot of these teams, it, it would be a grind. And every year, whether it was Penn State and Michigan, or or Wisconsin and Iowa, and uh, Ohio State certainly was there every year. And, and so it was kind of fun and and more unpredictable than what it's been since really Urban Meyer, you know, took over, yeah. and then Ryan Day kind of took it from there. And and that's kind of what's fascinating with me with the East division as a whole, but what's going on with Michigan state, what the kind of the downfall of D'Antonio kind of coincided with um, James Franklin solidifying things at Penn state, Jim Harbaugh go into Michigan, as you said, Luke fickle, Mark Stoops at, at Kentucky. And they're all kind of chomping on the same carcass of recruiting, you know, in the Ohio area and, and that, uh, and so that kind of hurt. Obviously, it hurt him. And then when you swing and miss at a place like Michigan State, you feel it a lot more than you do at Penn State or, or Ohio State because you just have it's just a slightly lower tier. And certainly, yeah. it's the same place for the the team I cover. But you know, the West is is fascinating too because you know Penn State and Wisconsin played that game, went all the way down the wire, and Wisconsin, frankly, probably should have won it, but. Well, they didn't, and they had serious turnovers. And uh, but I still think they're they're a quality team, and we'll know a lot more about them this weekend when they play Notre Dame in Chicago. And um, you know, Minnesota to me is, you know, they they played well. I mean, they beat the daylights out of um, you know Colorado. I mean, I, I can't believe they held them to what like seventy yards or something like that yeah. last weekend, and one thirty to nothing, and. Uh, that was that defense was so bad last year. I mean, it was terrible. Really was. <laughs> and, and, you know, they allowed like seven yards of play. And so um, if they continue to do that, they'll be a tough out too, even without Mo Ibrahim. Um, I do think Iowa is probably the best of the, of the West right now. Um, it's got some work to do offensively, but that has the best defense in the league and best special teams in the league. So I think that can be an equalizer. Um, it just, it has to play, you know, it, it's not real explosive offensively. And I think that could be a problem with a team like, say, Ohio State, if it gets into a shootout situation that I don't know if it can keep up. But if it's a low scoring game, yeah, it'll have no problems because it can slug it, slug it out with anybody in the country that way. So, um, so what's, uh, what's beyond this week for, for Michigan State? What do they got after, uh, uh, you know, after Nebraska? So they've got Western Kentucky, which is um, 
again, that's the yeah. game that I, I'm kind of worried about. I would be worried about if I'm a Michigan State fan just because, um, again, they throw the ball around a lot. I, I talked about Michigan State secondary. I think they're susceptible to big plays. If you're like they've been playing, um, again, like I said, off coverage and allowing the, the short stuff over the field, but with us with an offense like Western Kentucky where they throw it as as much as they do, I think eventually you're going to give up some big plays. Eventually they're going to move the ball around you and um, you know, put some points on the board. So I think their defense is going to have to come ready to play. Um, that's a night game next Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. so I think they'll and Mel's a coach who is understanding of all of that and he knows how to, you know, get his team fired up, even in games like that. Kind of a similar thing against Youngstown State, you know, can't come out with a let up. First play of the game was 75-yard touchdown, flea flicker. So <laughs> um, they try to set the tone early in games like that. Um, then after that, they've got Rutgers on the road, um, Indiana, Michigan. That's going to be a pretty interesting stretch against those three. Um, and, yeah, I mean, eventually they'll get around to Penn State, Ohio State. Um, so I think those will be – like, they end, they end the year with – Maryland, um, Ohio State, and Penn State. So those three games I think will be pretty interesting. Um, all three are playing really well so far. Again, again Ohio State's going to bounce back eventually. So um, I, I don't know where I'm at with this Michigan State team. I mean, they've definitely uh, impressed me so far. They're probably ahead of schedule, in my opinion, where I expected them to be. I thought this was going to be – you know, I thought six and six would be a really good season. I think their over-under was probably four and a half, and I'm like, that's that's low. I think it's if you put it at five and a half, I would slightly take the over, but it'd be a lot tougher. I would say five and seven to, you know, six and six range, yeah. maybe seven and five. A few things go go your way. Now I think if a few things go their way, you're talking about eight and four. I think if they can get there. That'd be a phenomenal season, a phenomenal year two for Mel Tucker. I'm sure they would use that in recruiting and say, you know, look how far we've accelerated things in only you know year to year. Uh, you know, come be a part of that next step for us when we try to get to 10 wins. You know, I think that's probably the mentality um, for this offseason. If they can get to eight wins, I think they'll use that as a recruiting chip for sure. Um, you know, I think the Miami game is also a big recruiting chip because mm-hmm. Mel Tucker wants to, you know, spread out the map a little bit. He's got ties in Georgia. He's got ties in Florida um, with some of the other coaches on the staff. Um, so I think a lot, they had a lot of recruits at that game that they're interested in and they went out, they went out to see a few of those players, um, you know, Friday night too. So I think that game is probably going to give them a lot of recruiting momentum. So that's what, that's what this year is about. Like, I don't think they're ready to compete for the big 10 title just yet. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? (laughs) They keep this up, but, uh, that's what this year is about. It's about building towards the future. Again, this, this roster, even though Mel Tucker's kind of flipped it over, still a lot of these guys starting are are D'Antonio guys. That's cool. You can win with them, but. You know, he has a certain type of athlete that he wants in mind at every position. So they're still not fully there yet. And I think when they do get there, maybe they'll start to compete for, you know, the Big Ten or at least the Big Ten East, maybe give Penn State and Ohio State, you know, make them sweat a little bit if they can get to that level. I think that's that's the goal. Um, you know, Mel Tucker's whole thing is, you know, I don't like to set limits for myself. So I think this team can do whatever it needs to do. You know, so that's how they're approaching this season. Us as media can be a little bit more skeptical than they can. Um, sure. But – I just, again, based on everything that they've done so far this year, I mean, it's hard not to be impressed by the things that Mel Tucker's done, the way they're playing, the physicality, the speed, you know, all of it's there. And I think it's there probably quicker than most people anticipated. Right. And and we could see a different Big Ten going forward after next year. I think in 2023 is when 
you're going to see a change. I think they're going to go to eight games. Um, so then they can start picking up some of these alliance matchups on a frequent basis. Uh, there will be, and there is a discussion going on about whether they should just end division play as a whole. Yep. And, and um, you know, the one I, I know they're looking at is everybody gets say three, three opponents you play every year. And then you cycle through everybody else, you know, two years on two years off, which would be, probably a little more organic and not forced on some of these matchups. Cause you know, I, I remember it, it really stunk that last year was the first time since 2013, Michigan state had come to Iowa city. And that was a, a great series year in and year out. It was like, you know, I know probably both teams were like, we'd love to have a bye week after this game because you knew <laughs> that you're going to be beat to beat to death afterwards. And it was a lot of those games. And, uh, and so it was kind of like, man, you know, seeing Iowa play a a Rutgers or a Maryland, but not seeing play Michigan state or Michigan or Ohio's. I mean, heck I've only seen Ohio state. They haven't been, they've been to Kinnick once since 2010. I haven't been to the big hat or the, the the horseshoe since 2013. So it's kind of like, man, these, these matchups need to get cycled through a little bit more. Um, But, you know, for, I would say what for Michigan State you'd you'd have to play Michigan every year. Mm-hmm. Northwestern was one that I know Mark Hollis was really adamant about playing because he wanted to be in Chicago every other year, and that's why this stretch of you know crossovers that the Big Ten gave them Northwestern was just kind of a piece on that after the whole Legends Leaders divisions went kaput. But um, who do you, who would there be there three? Would, would Northwestern be that? I mean, I don't think Penn State really would. I think it's more of a kind of a fun, hey, okay, you guys play each other you know, for this big Oregon thing. <laughs> right. I mean, the thing, they're trying to rebrand the whole, I mean, they're playing at the end of the year. Um, that used to be a thing. It went away for a few years. It came yeah. back 2020. Um, they'll do the same thing again this year. So I think, you know the land grant trophy. I don't want to see that thing go away. I love, I love that big bulky, uh, whatever they want to call it, item. <laughs> um, but uh, that's one that I don't know. For me, watching, I love you know the, the games against Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, I love traveling there because that's a fun environment. Um, obviously, Michigan, you have to keep that one. Yeah. Um, Northwestern. I don't know if that's one you need as much now. I mean, there there are a lot of um, you know Michigan State alums and in Chicago. So I know that's one that Hollis like for those reasons. And, you know, D'Antonio recruited Illinois pretty well, but I don't know. Mel Tucker is uh, kind of expanding the map, like I mentioned. So yeah. they're not always going to just be in Illinois like they used to be. So Illinois, Indiana, you know, Ohio, that area. So I don't know if that's one you need as much. Um, I don't know. I don't know who the third one would be. Who, I mean, based on what you've seen, what, what would be your three? For Michigan State, I would, definitely Michigan. I'd probably go Indiana, okay. uh, and and basketball. Too. It's a it's a funner rivalry in basketball, but we have the yeah. the Spittoon and and uh, you know and it's it's partly because there's other than Michigan, there's not one that just jumps out at you. Maybe Notre Dame would be number two, you know, based off the past, but you know they're not even yeah. the same league. So uh, Northwestern was just yeah because of the alumni factor that they could really trumpet going back to, to Chicagoland area. And, uh, but, but like with Penn state, it would be tough because you've got Maryland and Rutgers. They're going to want to anchor to them. And then the one Penn state always wants to play is Ohio state. Yeah. So then, it, then it kind of 
throws that one out. I mean, they're, they're all, all the schools have some really fascinating ones. Like out here, it's probably the four, four some Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska would probably all want to play one another. Maybe yeah. not Nebraska, Minnesota, but you know, that who knows, but I'd just like to see a lot more cycling through. If you can tell every single recruit in the big 10, you're going to go to every single school home campus at least once in a four-year period. I think that's a great selling point for the school and, and for your program. You know, if you're, if you're in Michigan and you're recruiting in New Jersey, I mean, you're going to already right now going with Rutgers, but if you're recruiting Rocky Lombardi <laughs> in West Des Moines, Iowa, you can say at least that you're going to go to Kinnick once. Now that didn't turn out to be a great experience for him, but, um, yeah. but he should have listened all along and been a middle linebacker like Iowa tried to make him during the recruiting yeah. process. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are a few schools I haven't, I still haven't gone to, and I'm, this is my fourth year. So by the end of it, that's, you know, the whole cycle for a player, basically. I haven't been to Illinois yet. Mm. Uh, haven't been to Purdue, but that's on the schedule this year. Have not been to Minnesota. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I'd love to see some more cycling of those games. It's always nice to kind of experience a new environment if you haven't done that yet, especially for the players. So I'm on board. Yeah, right. I think uh, Michigan State did go into Minneapolis this year, didn't they? And uh, one of their 22 guys, maybe a defensive end or something, came from Minneapolis. Yeah, Chase right? Carter. They yeah. got um, a defensive end from there. So, yeah, I mean, that's they, they recruited a few guys from Minnesota. So, yeah, why not? Yeah. Yep. So, got to go to dinky town, got to go to <laughs> Minneapolis for a game. Yeah. So, right. Well, as always, we wanted to thank you, our legends and listeners for spending some time with us and adding us to your podcasting rotation. Please subscribe, rate and review us five stars, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite t- prospects. So for, for Colton Pouncey, this is Scott Dockerman, and we will see you later. Thank you.